0: Are you a music school owner looking to scale your program from just a handful of teachers to a highly profitable, well-organized, and mission-driven company? Well, I'm Nate Shaw, co-founder of the Brooklyn Music Factory.
1: And I'm Daniel Patterson, founder of Grow Your Music Studio. And we're here to help you discover a proven pathway to sustainable growth in your music school.
0: So get ready to take your passion for music education and scale it to a seven-figure music school.
1: Hey, welcome back to the 7FMS podcast. In this episode, we're spending some time talking about your school's biggest expense, your teaching team. Uh, Several episodes ago, we talked about what to pay your teachers, And that was around episode 42, 43, 44, somewhere in there. And during that episode, Nate said something to me, said something to us that caught my attention, uh, piqued my interest. He said that teacher pay only accounted for 32% of his school's expenses. And that fascinated me. I think it also fascinated our listeners because I received several questions around how do you get that number so low? Um, And so what I realized was that there was some confusion around that number. And so today, we're going to move past the basic questions around what to pay teachers and examine some deeper thoughts around your school's margins and financial fluency. And specifically, we're going to look at how do you optimize your school's finances and margins as it pertains to employee or contractor costs? How do you do the accounting for these expenses? How do you forecast them? And most importantly, how can you take this knowledge and apply it to your school and reap the rewards of financial optimization? Nate, start out with, how in the world did you get your cost of labor down to 32%? That was the number that kind of caught everyone's attention.
0: How did you get that down to
1: 32%?
0: I love numbers because they tell a story, right? And, And the simple answer to your question is, That's not the whole story, Mm. right? It's basically 32%, i.e. another... uh, Or in other words, of every dollar that Brooklyn Music Factory brings in, 32 cents goes to the teacher. Well, that isn't actually the entire investment in that teacher. It's just what we call the direct cost. In other words... um, that's the actual cost to be able to deliver the service. The student shows up for a lesson. The teacher shows up for a lesson. The student pays a dollar for that hour. 32 cents of that dollar goes directly to the teacher just to be sure that you actually even can deliver the lesson. But as you and I have talked about a ton, um, you know that's only part of what we do at a music mm. school. The actual delivery of the lesson is only one facet of delivering on our promise. Um, Mm. So just like with investment in teachers and cost of labor, that's only one number that we're tracking. We're tracking other um, costs as well that go directly to that teacher.
1: Okay. So I think the thing that confused folks was they heard that 32% number and they're like, oh, Mm. wait you only pay like 30% of lesson costs to teachers cuz you know you know there's this thinking out in the in the milieu and the zeitgeist of you know what's the proper percentage to pay your teachers and it fluctuates somewhere between 50 to like 65% depending on how bold that studio owner is um and so a lot of people heard that 32% number and said oh how how do you do that but what it sounds like you're saying is that that isn't the whole story. So is that is that correct? Yes, is
0: that, it- that is totally correct, Daniel. And I'm actually going to tell a really quick story. I'm going to go slightly off script here and just say what I did when we first started Brooklyn Music Factory. So mm. you and I have touched on this a little bit in previous episodes, but like so many school owners or... or <clears throat> Early founders. I started a school. I called a bunch of friends. I said, "Dude, I want to start offering drum lessons. Will you come work with me on at BMF?" And I just paid them whatever I thought seemed like a fair rate. So, in other words, I started. I think we paid like sixty dollars an hour out of the gate, and that was twelve years ago. Um, And and mostly, I just based it on whatever I thought I should be getting, roughly. Right, and the challenge there, of course, is. That I had no idea really all the other costs that went into running an effective and sustainable school like BMF. So, um, anywho, the painful part of that story is I had to actually retract a lot of offers and revise um, what the hourly rate was within a couple of years. Because basically I was like, oh, it's not sustainable at all to pay 60, 70, 80% of every of every dollar to the direct teacher cost because there's nothing left to invest in the business truly. Right. So mm. yeah, the short answer is that's not the whole story. Um, and you know, maybe I'll just quickly touch on the longer, um, are the other pieces of investments that we make okay. in teachers. So first of all, you have, you know, just the direct costs we, you know, just to be clear, by the way, for those that are listening, that are like, wait, what's an indirect cost. An indirect cost is anything that goes into the business that allows you to actually keep the lights on, have a studio, a place to teach that lesson. So electric bills, rent, your back office administrative support, your bookkeeper that gets paid every month to keep. Those are all indirect costs, right? The student has no idea that those are being paid They just see that there's a teacher showing up delivering the direct experience. So you have indirect and you have direct costs. So that's sort of a simple definition of that. So you have, um, but in terms of just the teacher, you of course you have that cost of, like you said, 32 cents of every dollar on average at BMF. Then you have any other additional benefits that you will offer them. So at BMF, we offer a retirement savings plan. So we match 3% of that. We offer to a number of our, um, Long-time faculty, they reach a point where they get paid time off, right? So there's paid time off there. Um, so there's some other benefits we we aspire to be offering medical, which I'm hoping will happen within the next couple of years, depending on um, you know coming out of uh, what what 2023 feels and looks like. Um, the other uh, areas you have are, of course. Um, there are other things that we in, ask teachers to do like show up to the 3-hour training we just did on mm-hmm. Friday. That's an earning opportunity for them. We offer off we also offer teachers the opportunity to be involved in curriculum development. People we put that in the administrative bucket. So basically you have the direct cost, you have any benefits costs that go into the uh, that go to the teacher, you have training investment costs, and then you have additional administrative opportunity or earning a potential for uh, teachers. Let me just give one example of the admin. I'm going to ping it back to Daniel. A classic version of paying, of paying admin for teachers would be if you paid them, for example, for every five hours of teaching they did, you paid them for an hour of prep and reconciliation of lessons. That would be a classic. We don't exactly do like that at BMF, but we offer all kinds of other earning opportunities around training and ongoing administrative. Um, mm-hmm. So that's sort of the that gives you the entire actual cost of investing in a teacher so if i were to just give a rough estimate on bmf the rough estimate on bmf is that it's not 32 percent or 32 cents of every dollar that goes to the teacher on average it's actually ends up being more like that 40 to 50 cents of every dollar goes to the teacher and we're going to get into why it's really important to know that number And then to keep it somewhere that you can sustain year in and year out. We're going to talk Mm. a lot about that in a minute. That's where we are at BMF. So we're closer to more like half of every dollar we invest in teachers. And for obvious reasons, they're literally the delivery on promise. (laughs) To go back
1: to the four buckets.
0: Yeah, they are. are they're, They're not the most important employee because that's really not fair to say at all. To, for example, Leah, our bookkeeper, who's incredibly important, but they are an essential piece to, you know, living your purpose as a music school owner. Okay, so
1: I heard all that. Let me see if I am understanding this from a practical perspective, because what you just said there was the nitty gritty. Tell me if, if you think I'm thinking about this wrong. What it sounds like is that you have a more granular approach to pay so that on paper, it might look the, like the actual hourly rate that you're paying a teacher might look lower than another studio. But because, you have, because you've split out all the different things that they do and the different benefits that you offer them, that you actually have a much more clear view of what and why you're paying them. In other words, whereas a studio might say, oh, you get 60% of every lesson – and then there's all these other things that they expect the teacher to do as a condition of their employment where they may not be paying them an hourly rate to show up to a training, but it's expected that they show up to a training because they're making 60% of every lesson. It's like you actually break it down and do the work of of, of splitting all that out. Like here's what the benefits will be. Here's what Here's what the hourly rate will be to teach the student. Here's some admin costs, training costs. Do you think that's a fair assessment of how
0: I'm hearing what you're saying? Yeah, I wanna. I think I think you use the word granular. Can I swap the word targeted out for granular? Sure. It's a targeted compensation approach. In other words, um, you 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 just gave a great example. There, if if you as an owner have a methodology or have licensed curriculum. And therefore, want to train to that because just like anything in our life, it takes time to adopt a method. It takes time to become highly skilled at it. Mm -hmm. It takes time to master that as a teacher in your program. Then, of course, you want to invest in it, right? So what do we have to invest? You and I talk about this all the time. You only have basically one of three things, but we'll just talk two today. You have time and you have dollars. Mm -hmm. That's what you're investing. I would say the third thing, by the way, you can just contemplate this is your intellect and creativity, right? You can invest that and you have to be very careful. That's where our annual planning episodes come into. Mm. Um, But anyways, time and dollars. So sure, you can just pay the teacher, I don't know, 60 cents on the dollar to come teach the lesson and never really talk about the value of training and never really talk about Mm -hmm. the value of the gigs and the recitals. Or you can take a BMF approach, which is to say, we highly value training and you will be paid for it. Mm -hmm. We highly value our songwriting parties. In fact, it's one of the most important community building events we do. And all of you are expected to be there. Even if you only have a single student actually, We require our teachers to all be at the private lesson songwriting parties, even if they don't have a student on it, Hmm. because it's all hands on deck to build community and assist one another. And guess what? You're paid the same as if you were teaching a piano lesson. Hmm. Right. So I think your, your, um, last comment on this was clarity. I just, I underlined the word clarity. I was like, Daniel hit it on the head. It's clarity on, not only what's important to you as a founder and a school owner, um, but also exactly how you intend to achieve that. What, and then okay. you allocate time and money to it. And so, I want to I want to add one last thing here, Daniel. Sometimes it can be intimidating to hear a comment like you get granular, you get detailed with all the breakouts. I want to be clear here. I'm not going in there and weekly looking at the cost of that retirement savings account. Not at all. I just know on average over the course of the year, it costs point something something percent Mm -hmm. of our gross income. And I'm like, that's fine. I lump training and I lump curriculum development and I lump lump, uh, those gigs into just a bucket I call admin. Mm. And I know that the admin title kind of sucks and it's not nearly giving it the (laughs) clarity and importance it deserves because like a gig is a gig and we love our gigs and it's my favorite place to be. And I'm so psyched when all the teachers are there. However, I just lump it in there and I know the trend and the percentage. And when that percentage gets slightly off, it starts to tick up. Then I have to think carefully about how much more training we're doing in the next quarter. Yeah. Yeah right? I have to be a little mindful then. So that's the last piece I wanted to say is like, don't just glaze over when you hear the comment, like you get super granular with all your percentages, because that's not the essence of what you just said, Daniel. The essence is that that targeted approach to investment.
1: Okay. You know, it's interesting that you brought that up because that's exactly where I wanted to go next. Mm. <laughs> um, so often the response I hear is, Oh, this is yet another, another thing I'm not doing. Uh, it's another thing to throw on the pile of things Hmm. I can feel guilty about. Let me just tell you of the two of us. And this is for the listeners. Nate is far more relaxed than I am. I don't see Nate as this (laughs) ball of anxious energy, uh, crushed under the weight of all these numbers he has to keep track of. And I'm not even going to put this down to the fact that he kind of likes the numbers or he loves the numbers. It isn't that, um, it it isn't that I, I don't see Nate spending just in the two years I've known him. Like Nate is not spending hours and hours every day with spreadsheets open wrestling with all this stuff. This This will not take nearly as much time as your imagination is telling you that it will right now. A lot of times, just like with the pay scale episode that we did a couple episodes back, it's one of those things where you do your homework, you do your research, might take an afternoon, you put it into place, you see you see the effects of it over the course of the year and then you gradually course correct year after year after year and you make incremental improvements that make things better and i would say that's the same thing here nate only has a couple categories cost of labor benefits admin training there's four categories there and you think Mm -hmm. about well how much training time do we want to have how much admin time do we estimate we might have and you kind of build your percentages out from that. And I think, Nate, that's kind of leads me where I wanted to go next after even saying this little bit here, is let's just give people some sample targets. Like, what should the cost of labor be? What should the benefits be as a percentage? We probably don't need to get into specific numbers. That probably won't be helpful. But I think target percentages will be helpful. And that will kind of account for you know different areas of the country, uh, uh, different costs that might be incurred from state right. to state or from country to country. Cause I know we do have a lot of overseas listeners. Um, let's talk about those percentages at a high level. Let's not spend 20 minutes on this. Let's kind of blast through it. Um, Notes. but yeah, tell me, um, what you're targeting for, uh, for a budget for each of these yep. categories.
0: So, cost of labor again. That's the direct cost. That's what we tradition. Our listeners are traditionally thinking. I pay my teacher this per hour to teach. That cost of labor. I want to keep it right around thirty percent on average over the course of the year, and that allows you to have one teacher that you pay forty dollars an hour, and another teacher you pay forty five dollars an hour, and a beginning teacher you pay thirty dollars an hour, mm-hmm. and then a then a maybe an intern who's just subbing $20 an hour, right? You're just saying on average, so 30%-ish. Now I'll say we get this question all the time, so just write this down if you're taking notes. People are like, well, what about W-2 versus 1099? Okay, that means I have only contractors. If you have only contractors, it means you're not covering some of their cost of living, i.e. their tax burden, so that you can consider yours to be closer to 40%. Right. Hmm. So 30% is what I'm going for, for cost of labor. Uh, second thing is benefits on average are going to be somewhere between like two to 5%. Hmm. Then if I get to admin costs that, that this, by the way, is covering the waterfront. Okay. This is, this is BMF's admin cost, whether it's administrative work that the teachers are doing, or, um, you know, someone like Jessica, who's director of, uh, you know, Communications and enrollment, but our average is around 20 to 25%. Okay. So now we've got about. Of total revenue for the year? Of total revenue. So everything in a percentage is a great question, Daniel, because you said let's not get into the numbers, the dollars. And it's really wise to not really ever get into the dollars. In fact, when you talk to other business owners that are quite fluent financially, they rarely look at dollars, they look at percentages. Basically, Another way, again, you'll hear me say $0.30 of every dollar. That's an easy way to start thinking in percentages for anyone listening. Hmm. So just to review, cost of labor, $0.30 of every dollar. Benefits, call it up to $0.05 of every dollar. Administrative cost, call it $0.20 of every dollar. So now you're spending $0.55 of every dollar. The final one is training costs. Um, I, I, I call training investing and retaining great teachers. Investing Mm. in and retaining is another way to call it training, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Just like you invest in yourself by listening to this podcast, you're taking the time to try to expand your your perspective on your music school. That's an investment of time in yourself. We're investing in our teachers. I put that as high as 10%. So now we've spent 60 to 65 cents of every dollar on humans. Mm. Dig it? So Mm -hmm. I'm going to flip something here now. What does that leave us with? That leaves us with about 40 cents of every dollar to run the rest of the company and to pay you, the owner. Mm -hmm. Right. So so this is like gets back to your initial question. Nate, how is it you only spend 30 cents of every dollar on on teachers? It's not the whole story. Right. right we're just hyper targeted in how we invest our most precious resources time and money right And to me um, the reason we get well not the reason one of the reasons Daniel we get so many questions around hiring and retaining great teachers is that I'm not sure that our listeners are always necessarily contemplating how important it is to invest in those teachers mm right? And investment doesn't mean expense. Even though we interchange those words, think of it as an investment, not a cost. Mm. So that's a different episode, but I'm going to just drop that for a second for people to contemplate. Just write that down and then journal about it and hit Daniel and I with a question. Okay, onward. So that gives us our rough budget.
1: I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash seven FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions. I have I have two follow-up things to say to this. One a statement, one a question. Yeah. The statement is we actually touched on this way back, I think it was in episode 14, where we were addressing a question. Someone had asked about should I pay teachers to come to my to 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 meetings? Mm. Yeah, they just expected them to show up, and we did actually get into that investment versus cost mentality there. So I would urge people if if that piques your interest, go back and listen to that episode. I am almost positive it was episode fourteen. I, I could be wrong, but it, it'll be clearly titled. That's the first thing. The second thing, Nate, mm-hmm. this yep. is uh, to get a little more granular. You give these percentages, but uh, you know. You know, I know, everyone knows, y- your school is up in seven-figure territory. Would those percentages be different for a school that's maybe only bringing in 200000 a year or 300000 a year?
0: This is a great question, and this is, gets back to your earlier comment about let's just not talk in dollars, let's talk in percentages, because there's value there, value around um, being able to adjust percentages based on your stages of growth. Um, I'm going to go back and sh- I don't have my numbers handy from say ten years ago, but I'm looking at 2016 through okay. 2021 right now, and all the percentages of every every line of our budget. Wow! Um, and I'm going to show you that as our school was smaller in 2016. Uh, we had a, we had half the investment into, in the administrative side. So instead of 20%, we had more like 10%. But at the same time, our cost of labor was higher. So it was 40-ish percent, right? Wow. So um, I'm wondering if I could make generalities without being a little bit, I'm not sure I could answer your question really simply right now. but I I think it's a great one. If you don't mind, could we possibly contemplate that and come back with another episode on stages of growth and actually how the budget might change? Cause it's a really good question.
1: Well, what's interesting is, you know, the cost showed up in a different category. And I wonder if Mm -hmm. that is a signifier that there probably is going to be an overall cost. Um, and from school to school, it will likely be similar. You're probably going to be somewhere between 50 to 65%. Most schools seem to do that. But, this, but I highlight the point once again. And I think this, is my, this could be the final major question I wanted to ask you coming into this episode. Because I'm going to play devil's advocate here in just a second. But before I ask that question, I just want to finish this thought that I do want to highlight once again what Nate said earlier that yes uh, it is possible just to have a a general percentage that you pay out to the teachers and that's it but what but if you choose to do that you lose the opportunity of getting a little bit more granular having more information at your disposal out of which you can make better decisions. Because if you're having a retention problem with your students and you're paying a general amount out to teachers, you don't know how much you're actually investing in training until you actually can see it on paper. And we can have our best efforts to kind of guesstimate what it is, but I will tell you that every time I've guesstimated things in my own business, depending on my mood that day, I was either perhaps too optimistic or too pessimistic. It's better to just deal with the truth. Yeah. um, And we lose the opportunity to actually look at the real numbers and say, oh, you know what? I really thought that this is what we were doing with training. But actually, the amount we've spent on training this year is much lower than I actually thought it was going to be. Be, mm. and what and what would maybe have solved this retention problem we have right now. So again, yeah, we I guess we could shoot for a general number, but it, that isn't as good as dealing with the truth. Nate.
0: Yeah, I I it's so wise that last comment Daniel and it also requires us it, it requires the reminder that you can't assess anything until you start actually measuring it. Right. So <laughs> to your point is like, don't we we don't need to be we, we definitely don't need to judge ourselves right now. Like what? Right. I have no idea how much training, I, how much money I spend on training my teachers. Just shoot. Just ask yourself, would there be benefit in knowing what you invested in teachers six mm-hmm. months from now, a year from now? If so, come up with your own just ground, you know, your basic version of measurement. It can literally just be how many hours times how many teachers, you know, just decide that and then do an average cost of by the hour. So I want to get, can I just actually do a quick answer to your, your last, last question? Because I've been thinking, how will your percentages change? Here's what happens as a, as a, as a, as your company grows. Okay. First of all, let's say you're making 200,000 a year gross. You're probably serving somewhere around a hundred students ish. You know, okay, fine. As you get to 150 to 200, that's generally where your operations begin to break. No matter how much of an automation guru you are, that's when you need more people support, i.e. administrative support, to start managing just the basic operations. It could be as simple as you have 200 students, so now you're doing 10 recitals a season. And you're like, wow, I need help, okay? So what's going to happen as your school grows is that you'll find that it puts pressure on customer service and indirect costs mm-hmm. and so now, human costs. So therefore you're going to find your admin cost going up some, but your cost of labor percentage, uh, sorry, your admin percentage is going to go up some and your cost of labor percentage you're actually going to have to watch even closer and closer and closer. Now here's the thing. Teachers Need sustainable gigs that help them cover the cost of living, right? As your school grows, you now can start offering four, five days a week of teaching to a teacher, which becomes their full-time and only gig. Mm. Right? That allows you to start now start playing with what they're getting, quote, per hour, right? Because giving someone 25 hours of teaching guaranteed every week allows you to start talking with them about a sustainable wage that you can sustain that allow them to stay with you longer. So you can see how that cost of labor percentage might start going down some. And that's exactly what happened with Brooklyn Music Factory. Mm. Our direct costs to teachers started going down, but we put in more, we increased our administrative costs and we increased a bit of our training cost as we brought on more and more teachers, mm. um, and so that's sort of a short answer. Hmm. Your question is so good, Daniel, that I think it warrants a, like entire episodes to how you scale a budget from your you know your first stage of business to your fifth stage. But uh, our listeners can look forward to that.
1: <laughs> I I agree. The devil's in the details, Nate, and I will tell you I have gained inestimable value in working with folks that have the level of granularity that I need. In other words, and I've told these stories before, so I'm only going to briefly name them because I know I've mentioned this on the podcast in past episodes before, but there have been key moments in my career where I wanted to expand my business. I had a general idea of what what, what I wanted to do. I even did my own research, my own homework, books, YouTube videos, in some cases, courses, but when it came right down to it, the way to get through that stage of development, the way to grow faster was to just go to someone who already had the answers, who was way farther ahead on the path than I was and, and bring specific challenges that my business was facing, something that a book could never do for me. And we don't do this very often the podcast, but we do this for school owners Hmm. Um, yeah and so if you hear this and you're like okay I, all these percentages oh, gosh this just feels confusing but it feels important reach out to us um, the level of granularity we get into with the folks who are working with seven figure music school um, we help people run a a simple business with simple systems and procedures in place You know, we just did a systems episode a little while back, a couple weeks ago. Um, None of this has to be complicated, but it's often helpful to go through with someone who's already doing it so that you can get through that stage of development with minimal hassle, minimal stress, and as quickly as possible. So if that's of interest to you, just reach out to us. Both Nate and I are very, very happy to do that work with you. Uh, Nate, any final thoughts before we wrap this one up?
0: Well, you were going to say I was going to play devil's advocate, and I wanted to know mm. what you were going to ask. Because um, well, you, you had a couple of good... I feel like you, you had some devil's advocate on this. like Kind of like, why is it even important?
1: Well, you see, I think you inadvertently answered it. But let me go ahead and ask the question, because there might be additional perspective you would add on there. Essentially, I was going to play devil's advocate and ask why not just target a certain percentage um, and just slash and burn all the costs that you can. Uh, In other words, pay your team well um, and just be careful that you're being efficient. Why all this fiddling with certain percentages in every category. And for my, for my purposes, even though I didn't answer the question, I felt like you did cover that pretty well, both right at the beginning and then, throughout the episode it like i feel like you were giving reasons for that even without me asking the question but now that i've explicitly mm. put the question out there is there anything else you'd add to it
0: uh i would just say that you know we mentioned it briefly around this idea of annual planning i think um and you talked about the the devils in the details the ability yes. to be able to look and assess your music school based on data based on numbers that hopefully tell you stories, um, I would add to it that as you begin to develop a better understanding of your budget, what percentage is going to humans and how are you allocating that uh, money, you will then be in a better position to A, forecast what next year and the year after and the year after that is going to look like as you increase enrollment, or maybe you choose to decrease enrollment. Um, Who knows what stage of business you're going to be in. But the point is, you can start to create forecasts that you trust. Mind you, we work with a lot of... I mean, it's it's common that people come to us and they've actually never forecasted. Mm. what their business is, what their music school is going to do two or three years from now. And I'll just say that um, not only do we forecast at BMF, but it's October when we're recording this. And I set aside two whole days just to do strategic planning around the next the three-year forecast for BMF. And one of the places I look is exactly this subject. What have we spent on humans over the last three years? Am I seeing any trains that are, uh, trends that are concerning to me? Or am I seeing any opportunities, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that's the first piece is you create forecasts that are more, uh, yeah, that you believe in, right? It increases your faith as a school owner that you can build something, right? That's that's so important. We have faith, by the way, as teachers that, you know, when, when little Miles walks into this studio and takes a piano lesson with me, I have huge faith that I can transform him through piano lessons and that he's going to be around seven years from now. But that doesn't mean it translates to huge faith in our business. Mm. Right? (laughs) As school owners. So this is the the piece we're trying to expand uh, our knowledge base on and improve our perspective on. The second reason why I would say there's value here is because I'm literally, ju- we're just, you said, you know, we do this with clients. I was literally just had a call yesterday, dude, with someone who um, who was asking, who was saying, you know, Nate, I know you, I've heard you and Daniel talk about this over and over. I'm ready to do it. I'm putting together my budget. I was like, great, dude. and And I was like, tell me why. And he's like, well, I already know the story. I just need the numbers to validate it. And I was like, huh. He heard this idea of there's story in the numbers, and he sort of flipped it. He was like, I know the story. I just won't need the numbers to tell me it's true. Mm. And I was like, that's dangerous, because what you actually want to get to the point of is so trusting the numbers that you're ready and willing to ask better questions based on the stories they tell. Yes, Right. Because he's starting with this idea that I know the story. Well, it's because of this, this, and this, I had a teacher quit. And that's the reason that the, the, you know, enrollment dent down, or whatever the story is, he's telling himself. And what I'm going to say is as you get more and more comfortable with understanding the percentages you're investing in the people. And then from there, understanding the invest the percentages you're investing in the operating the rest of your company, you will begin to look at those and you will not make assumptions. Exactly. You will see those trends over time and you'll be like, wait a minute. I always assumed it was because so-and-so left and -and so-and-so left, which is why we had a dip in our retention, but hold on a sec. So-and-so left, a different person left there and a different person left there. Why didn't we have dip in retention? Huh. And so then you start asking different questions. Yes. Right? Um, and so that's the second piece: is that the value, is, uh, uh, or sorry, your um, your world is expanding as a music school owner, as you find yourself being more and more open, losing loosening your grip on your assumptions, and then being more open to asking deeper and deeper questions about the why behind trends that you see. And, and that's the second reason, dude, is because we can, I find myself asking different questions now than I used to ask seven, 10 years ago. Mm.
1: The thing I would add on to this, um, mm. in, uh, uh, not in opposition, but, but just as you say those things, it, it highlights, I think, this deeper theme of sales and marketing is cool. And yes, that will grow a school. But any business, you can take two approaches to growth. You can like push it and and struggle with it. But in hindsight, looking over the last decade of my career, what I've seen is that uh, when I have put certain things into place, where I've addressed blind spots that I've had, where I've started to do things that I wasn't even really sure of the value of doing them. I was just told by someone a lot smarter or more successful than me, like, you really should be doing that. Even if you don't see the value of it now, just start doing it. Yeah. When those conditions and structures were put into place, the business just grew on its own. And I would say that you talked about that revenue barrier that a lot of schools hit. And they wonder why they can't get over that revenue barrier. Well, it's probably Uh that the conditions and structures that you have in place are actually impeding you and that there could be things like forecasting. You're like, yeah, I know that these people do that, but I don't really see why that would be so important for me. Or that just feels like a lot of extra work. Like, why is that so important? That's one of those things where once you start doing it, it almost feels like magic, but... The business just starts to grow. You understand it better. There's this mystery, there's this shroud that's lifted, this fog that's lifted. And the business just kind of grows on its own. But of course, it isn't just growing on its own. You have a new condition structure in place that is yeah. removing an impedance to growth.
0: Yes, your and thinking so, is changing. Yeah. Ooh, right, Daniel? But through yeah. that effort.
1: Yeah, and so yeah. A, and, and it's exactly what you said. When your thinking changes, when when new questions are being asked, or when you're not spending most of your career dwelling on this set of things, but you solve that, and now you're thinking on this set of things, uh, it, it kind of propels you forward. And yes, you do have to get leads. Yes, you do have to do marketing. I get that, but you're gonna have a tailwind instead of a headwind. It's it, it's you're gonna be propelled forward because of these. Other things that you're doing, even if at this point it feels like I just ah, I just don't have time to do that or I don't see the importance of that or I I can't keep any teachers. I'm just putting these fires out like I don't have time to deal with that. And it's like Mm. I can't stress enough how important some of these habits are. So I'll just leave it. I'll leave with that thought.
0: Daniel, can I actually close with a story because I have a really good, uh, very current story at BMF, where an employee came and said, um, I'd like us to review my wage, can I get a 12% raise? Mm. You know, I, I feel like it was, we were doing a review, you and I have talked about performance reviews. And um, what comes with this kind of work that you and I are talking about, Daniel, is that conversation becomes a lot easier. Mm right the the employee comes and says Nate can, will you consider this and i can look at my budget i can look at my forecast i can look at the percentages that we invest in the admin line versus and this person's, person is on an admin side and i can say definitively you know what now's not a good time we're not going to i cannot offer you that increase right now because but i can say that by the end of 2023 or by Q3 in 2023, the forecast looks like we, we could revisit that conversation. Um, and so I just thought I would share that because that's a real, I mean, like like I hope we're doing all the time here. We're just trying to keep it real. That's a real story that's literally just happened in the last 24 hours. And I'm mm-hmm. contemplating my answer. You know, basically, I'm looking at the budget and I'm saying, yeah, it's not it's not something I can do right now. But I can point to the future with confidence and say, based on how, based on the forecast, I think we can have this conversation in another six to eight months. Mm. Um, And so then they say, okay, and I'm giving this person, I'm gonna give this person a real transparent data on it. I'm not just gonna be like, nah, doesn't work or or worse yet, what oftentimes the knee jerk reaction is, yes, you can just have the raise. Interesting. Because please yeah. don't quit, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Not, it can't. We can't operate a sustainable, long-term business that way. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyways, I thought I'd share that story. I think there's some there's some value in getting down on the ground often and just being like, well, how does Nate actually apply this knowledge? Well, that's one way.
1: Hmm. Cool.
0: Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please, Share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.